0: Hi, this is Chad. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of this journey towards product mastery. We're all all, in the, all on this journey so we can get better developing products that our customers love. With us today is Eunice Klink. He is the Vice President of Product Management and UX Design at Thrive Market, the health first membership for Conscious Living. He is responsible for the company's entire product portfolio, shepherding a lean virtual team of 10 project managers and UX designers. And he's established a system that allows the team to focus on understanding customer needs more deeply creating outcomes through hypothesis-based testing, and measuring progress through velocity, win rate, and impact towards their North Star metric. In a minute, he's gonna tell us how to do the same thing. I love learning more about processes that organizations are using, and we'll dive into this. Also, if you hear anything that you wanna go back to, we do create a detailed written summary of everything we discuss, including a one-page action guide to help you put into action with your team, with your colleagues, the concepts that we'll be discussing find those resources, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 450. Also, this episode is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is my system for serving organizations, really helping their product VPs and leaders to get the most out of their product management teams. It's a great, fun experience to help everyone that's contributing to product to figure out how to increase their performance together and work in alignment to reach those North Star Objectives and it can help your team as well. It works best for new teams or established teams are facing a new big challenge. It's unlike other training that really is a shared experience. Go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to see how it can help you. Yunus, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Chad. It's a real pleasure to be here. As they say, a long time listener, first time caller. So it's a real honor to be here and chat with you today.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that so much. There's a surprising number of people that have so many years of experience to listen to this podcast and could easily be contributing to all of us. And I appreciate you being one of those as a listener and also to come and help us learn some new things. And just a little context, right? If we go look at your LinkedIn profile, you've been at all kinds of great companies doing product roles and now Thrive Market. And I don't know Thrive Market. So I'm just curious about what that organization is about.
1: Yeah, no, happy to share. It's really been an amazing now, just about six or seven months in here. So at Thrive Market, it's really an online grocery platform where we are on a mission to make healthy and sustainable living easy, affordable, and accessible to all. So inspired by that mission, the team has put together really one of the first online platforms that that offer really a pre-curated of the highest quality, healthy, and sustainable products through our shopping experience. So it's a membership-based hmm. setup that feeds into an e-commerce experience, right? So the membership comes in, man- in both monthly and annual form, and you earn that back very quickly and savings up to about 30% across a highly curated catalog with products that you can cut and slice in all kinds of ways. We have everything we carry is non-GMO and inorganic, but then on top of that, there's over 500 ingredients that you'll never see in any of our products. And it also try to make it easy for people that have very specific needs mm-hmm. and values to cut through our inventory, find what's right for them and for their household. So there's over 90 different values and, and diets that we support. So it's everything from more, more common things like vegan and vegetarianism, but also other diets like Keto, Whole30, and so on. But then other, other values that you can also apply to, to look for inventory that the matches. And if you're interested in women-founded, BIPOC-founded businesses, and also regenerative agriculture. So whole different wonderful ways that's good both for people, for communities, and for the planet. Th- this has been really a homecoming for me, where I feel like I've been given the opportunity to put my background in, in e-commerce and subscription product management And put that to work for a mission that is deeply something I care about. I'm that weird guy who comes back from walking my dogs with bags full of recycling and so on. And people in the neighborhood may look at me a bit sideways, but it's just part of my fabric and just who I've always been and how I try to raise my kids and so on. So it's been good to to be able to do what I love professionally and align that with what I love personally as well.
0: Okay, so combining your personal passion for caring about the environment sounds like experience at eBay at Weight Watchers at other things in between. And sounds like a place if I want to eat clean, clean, wholesome food, and also maybe also aligned with some other values, you make that easy for me to find through Thrive Market.
1: That's right. That's right. And you can absolutely also save a buck on top of it. And and who doesn't need that today? So I said these savings that come from a membership model, we pass them on to our members in form of discounts. But then on top of that, also the impact, which is impossible to put a price on. Good for you. Good for your family. Good for the bottom line and your wallet. But then also just good for communities and the planet as large. So it's it's been a tremendously rewarding experience so far and we have so much left to do.
0: Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. this is not a paid advertisement. I was just curious about the organization. From what I saw, I, I wanted to find out more. And that sounds like something I will look into further as well. Okay, on to process. So you have brought years of experience in product work there to thrive market and it sounds like you're combining a lot of tools that we would recognize right okrs and thinking about how product work our innovation work aligns with organizational mission and vision and building that foundation and moving towards some clear vision for what we want to do maybe some north star objectives can you take us through the process maybe unpack some of these elements and how you put them together and what you're doing there to lead product in a way that makes sense and pushes things forward yeah absolutely
1: it's a great question and it's really been a a journey for me very much. I find it fascinating that even with product management being such a a wide, widely available profession, especially within tech, but also in many other industries and been around for decades now in a shape similar to what we see today, most of us still don't graduate product managers. We come from a technical background, from an MBA background, somewhere in between, and then we're expected to figure things out as we go along. And if you You're lucky you have really good managers or mentors that will help that learning along the way. And there are podcasts like this one's books, articles that you can read all night, all year long and listen to these things. And I have. And the thing that's been important to me is to experiment with the craft of product management, because I really look upon it that way as something I'm looking to perfect over, over time and really develop my brand of product management And I've taken every opportunity. I warned my teams early on that I care just as much about the how we do things as what we do, because I I do believe that regardless of the size of the company, the stage of the company, there's no excuse for not approaching product management, the UX design in a way that feels best in class. So that's always been my goal. And with the opportunity here at Thrive, they brought me in specifically because they felt like there was a gap and they needed someone to really stand up, you know, what what hopefully will continue to evolve into a world class product management and UX design organization, and essentially give me carte blanche. And that was too good of an opportunity to pass up in addition to what I talked about with the mission being something I care deeply about. That's the context and the background. And so talking about how I approached this, maybe it's my engineering background, but I like when I am able to distill things down to the core principles of how things can work and try to strip away a lot of the fluff that is not necessarily helping and might also, in some cases, cause a lot of confusion. So one of the first things I look at is to put a hierarchy in place where every single person, not just on my team, but within the company, is able to draw a straight line from what they are working on right now, this minute, this hour, all the way up to the company's mission. And the way I do that, and this is something I had great conversations with Nick and Sasha, two of the co-founders of the company early on, is to start looking at the mission. Because to me, when you're looking at the hierarchy, the, the data structure here of trying to draw that straight line, it starts at the top and it needs to start with the mission. And I've been part of many companies where the mission is not necessarily always central to the day-to-day work, but there's a philanthropic branch of the company that works on the mission and then everyone else is working on generating value for your customers and for your shareholders. And while that is a very noble mission to do, it's something where I find more interesting where you can actually start with the mission and say, if we're truly a purpose-driven organization, we should take a measurable approach also to the mission, to your North Star goal. right? And the mission is usually set in such a way that you're likely never going to actually get there, right? It's meant to inspire and to set people on a path, right? But the conversations I had early on coming in was very pragmatic, right? So talk about what do we mean by healthy, right? So that the mission is to make healthy and sustainable living easy, affordable, and accessible to, to all, right? So breaking that apart into its words for some of the first conversations that I had, right? What do we mean by healthy? What do our design targets mean by healthy? Do they Do those definitions align? What do we mean by sustainable living? And what do our design targets mean? Do they understand? Do those definitions align? How how are we going to measure easy? How are we going to measure affordable? How are we going to measure accessible? And how are we going to measure everyone, right? Because if you're truly a purpose-driven organization, my opinion is you need to treat your mission as a goal. Even though you may never get there, you should still be able to measure progress towards it. And how do you measure progress towards it? That is where the second concept fits into kind of this hierarchy, and that is a product vision. So to me, a product vision is essentially outlining in the next two to three years, the horizon can vary based on your industry and where you're at, the stage of your company, how much you know about your business and your members, right? But roughly that horizon, how are we going to make progress towards that vision, right? Towards the mission, sorry. And then that feeds into the next level down which is your product strategy, which is typically set on an annual basis or maybe for six months or whatever your planning cycle is, right? And that product strategy there then goes hand in hand with your KPIs and your goals. And the last part of this little tree is then to look at priorities. And the priorities dovetail very nicely. You can set priorities in, in many different ways. But if you want to be truly a focused organization, and the number of companies I've worked for that come to the realization that we're doing too many things. We need to be focused. Is almost every single company I've ever worked for. So when you get to that priority level, which is really talking about, okay, in the next quarter, typically, how are we going to make progress towards the strategy, which is the annual construct? That then dovetails very nicely with OKRs, because if you're truly going to have priorities or focus areas, the operative word being focus, you need to have a small amount Where OKRs lines up very nicely with that because your traditional OKRs preaches three to five objectives, each with three to five key results, each key result being value based, measurable and time bound. And so now when you've now gone all the way down to the key result level, if someone is working on a key result and everything that's in your backlog, at least everything that's prioritized in your backlog should map to a key result. You can then go, okay, key result, objective, strategy, vision, mission. And so I think it's really important to establish that early on. So we spent a bunch of time on that the first month or two to really put these constructs in place. There was a mission that was inspiring. They hadn't really approached it in a way that it was fully measurable. So that's work we did. I had to put a v- product vision and a strategy in place. And then the OKRs and so on were derived from that. So that is how we're operating now. And then In a traditional sense, the mission doesn't really change at all. The vision changes only rarely if you learn something really fundamental or the external circumstances changes, but we revisit the strategy and of course the OKRs pretty much on a quarterly basis, sometimes more often as we learn.
0: Okay. Thanks for giving us that big picture, this framework of organizational mission, being able to measure elements of that. Like you said, what do we mean by being healthy, right? That's a core part of the organization's mission for Thrive Market. What does that actually mean? The vision element of that too, where we're going, that translates to a product vision and aligning that product vision with what I would say is our strategic objectives as an organization and then figuring out the priorities. What are we gonna be working on this quarter to get towards that product vision? Using OKRs to help us with that. I'm taking a short break from the interview to tell you about my favorite annual conference for product managers and leaders. It is the PDMA Inspire Innovation Conference. PDMA, the Product Development and Management Association, has been researching, developing, and curating the product management body of knowledge and innovation body of knowledge for us since 1976. That's about 50 years of product knowledge and expertise that I bet you're unfamiliar with. I certainly am not familiar with all of it, and I love learning more. This is where people new to product work go to meet those with deep experience, and it's also where those of us with deeper experience go to network. This year, I'll be attending sessions, networking, and interviewing several of the speakers that are discussing topics on product innovation processes, customer insights, portfolio management, and much more. It's held September 16th to 19th in New Orleans, so just coming up in a few weeks. You can check it out now by going to pdma.org. And when you come to the conference, please introduce yourself, as I love to meet listeners. I will be spending some of my time in what they call the Innovation Cafe. So when you come, look for the Innovation Cafe. That's where I'll be interviewing speakers. And it's a great conference. Again, check out pdma.org to find out more. Hope to see you there. To give us a little more context, I'm thinking about maybe we're the senior leader coming into the new organization, or we're at the point where there's enough change going on that we kind of need to get things firmed up some, and it would be helpful to go through this. When you were brought into Thrive Market, you said the organizational mission wasn't maybe as firm as you wanted to see it, right? You had some discussions. Where was the organization at that point in terms of, I don't know how long they had been around, how many discussions there were, how did you get involved in, in, in that discussion and thinking about the organizational mission?
1: Yeah, the mission was really well established. As I said, it's a wonderful mission. So the conversations I had with Sasha and Nick, to the, the co-founders, was really just about understanding and putting pen to paper, and getting it out of their heads and into a brief or one-pager format to really start to understand what do they mean? with this mission that they've been on since 2014, right, which is very clear to them. But if I'm going to have every single product manager and every single UX designer approaching this in the same way and being being 100% aligned, we need to put some definitions around some of these concepts. I had no, no bearing on contributing to the mission. That was all set by, by people way more ambitious and than, than smarter than I am. But just really looking to quantify some of these things and making sure that then we could treat them as goals and not just as something that that is an inspirational mission, right, that drives culture and behavior. Because I'm a big, big believer, come from a background from Google, started with OKRs, early doers, measure what matters, all of these things, right, that if you're not if you don't if you're not intentional about what you're working on and you're not intentional about what you're working towards. It can, things can very quickly get messy, and you end up wasting a lot of time, and you create confusion, and you end up building a lot of things that are not necessarily actually moving things forward. And I think, and again, if you want to be a truly purpose-driven organization and a mission-driven organization, I firmly believe that you need to treat the mission as a measurable goal, even if you know you're never actually quite going
0: to get there. And it sounds like in this case, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of this was unpacking what the specifics of that mission is, and measuring, as you said before, what does it mean if we're making this easy? How does a customer perceive easy, and how do we know if we're making progress towards making it easier for our customers?
1: Exactly. So, in making this a little bit more concrete, looking at looking at affordable, for instance, then getting the definition out of some of the co-founders in terms of okay. What do you mean by affordable? What's your perspective on this? And so essentially the baseline goal was that we wanted every customer to um, save at least three times their membership fee based on their annual purchases. That was the minimum bar. And many of our customers say they've made more than that, but that was the minimum bar. Okay, great. Now I have a definition of what affordable means. Then I have to go work with our data engineers to determine are we measuring this. Like, how can we actually see if we're making progress towards this? And there were other parts of this that were a little bit easier, accessible to all right now. Thrive Market is available in the lower 48 states of the United States. And so the first step there for me was to look at our penetration in all those 48 states and see how we were stacking up. And then start tracking us over time in terms of where do we need to deepen our penetration? How can we address food deserts where people may not have other options that are healthy? It's easier to eat healthy if you're, say, in L.A., where the company is based out of. You have Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and a whole slew of other health food options, much harder if you're in rural Montana, where you might have to drive two hours to get to the closest option, right? So that is an important market for Thrive to really make sure that we're not just providing healthy foods to those who naturally gravitate towards it, a lot of the big city markets, metropolitan areas, but also to other areas. And it's not just about healthy in the sense of managing your weight and so on, there's a lot of our customers that have very specific needs for celiac, gluten-free, managing heart-related conditions, other things, right, as well. And so this is a big deal if you happen to be far away from healthy food options.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you can tease this apart a little bit just through an example, like easy or affordable or healthy, whatever thread to pull on. Taking that now down to the product vision level and the team that is actually going to implement capabilities to deliver on this and whatever you want to pick on, how do we save members 3x on their, or their fees? Or maybe a future example you're working on now, how do you package that in a way to make sure the team knows as an individual contributor, I'm working on something that contributes to a bigger objective that contributes to overall mission that yeah. this may be connection to OKRs?
1: Yeah, no, Absolutely. Many of these easy, affordable, and accessible are interrelated in terms of the tactics that we end up doing towards them. But if, you, if we pick an the word, let's say accessible, right, it really starts as a subscription-based company. One of the first things we needed to do was to understand how we are we presenting ourselves to people who are coming in, right? My team's job, we work very closely at that part of the funnel with the growth marketing team. And so if you simplify it, their job is to bring eyeballs to the site and the app. And my team's job as a close collaborator with them is to turn those eyeballs ideally into paying happy members right, that are accessing our products. And the first order of business on the member growth side when you're looking at accessible to all was to make sure that are we answering all the questions that our members had and coming in we were really only talking to our members through the means of customer service. We call it member services. And so I had some I had some very interesting conversations early on and say, look, we're the product management team. We need to be talking proactively to our customers, right? So establishing things like continuous interviewing, which we do on a monthly basis where we're essentially, and we might bring it to every two weeks soon enough, but right now on a monthly basis to just listen to our customers, hear what their pain points are, and just learn as much as possible. And then also integrate in, as part of the UX design and product management process to just do assumptions testing as well. So very quickly identify where we think that there might be issues and put that in front of customers, right? So just initiating a dialogue that just wasn't there. Um, and also to do a bunch of generative research. We did not know what kind of questions people showed up on the site. So was hit or miss in terms of the site being accessible to all. In terms of are we actually hitting on all the points that people need to know because sixty dollars is still sixty dollars for our annual membership right there's an investment that people are looking to make and we need to make the case for why this is right for you so the vision that we really set on for member growth early on was to lead with generative research and then establish continuous interviewing and assumptions testing and then in that area To try to do rapid iteration testing to then reduce the friction within the funnel and try to make sure that truly the membership was accessible to all, right? Both by us presenting the right information at the right time and us then eliminating barriers, accepting the right payment types, whatever have you, and educating people through the funnel. So that was a part of the vision that fed into the strategy that came out of the accessible part of it that's been quite successful and we've seen 25 percent year over year growth just in that area we came in and since we adopted the process we put in place in there and then it feeds into other parts of my product portfolio yep. accessible to all ones who then as a freshly minted member you you're exposed to our catalog through search and browse and so on can people find what they're looking for right and there that's where my background in e-commerce really kicks in right and you have to then start looking at how does our search and browse experience stack up? Where are people falling out of the funnel? Are we even tracking a funnel? Let's establish a funnel and let's see where where the funnel is more of a sieve than an actual funnel. And then start building a strategy for how we're going to improve search and browse. And then applying it systematically to other areas, right? It really starts, as I said, with that mindset of, okay, so we want to make it accessible to all. We don't control the supply chain. We don't control where where our distribution centers are and what kind of blanketing we have as 48 states. That is something I can influence as a leader and work with leaders of those organizations. But we do control when people are showing up, they do have access to our services, what kind of obstacles we put in their way and how hard it is for them to actually find what they need for their family and get checked out and on their way very quickly. So those are just some examples in terms of how it, it translates into very concrete things. And then at the ground level, when you're looking at, because I want do want to answer your question around OKRs as well, when you're looking at the ground level, right? So let's say one of the key results is to generate X hundred thousand additional members at Y CPA. That becomes your key result for the member growth team. Then it really becomes a very pragmatic approach. And that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of, okay, so we have a business outcome that we're looking to generate. The first question I always ask the team is, why aren't 100% of people already signing up? We have people coming in. We know where they're dropping off. We have that data. And to me, it, it becomes a detective problem, right? And it becomes a puzzle. And what's exciting about what we do, because there's a reason, right? People are generally fairly logical creatures sometimes emotional, but usually fairly full, if that's even a word, where you then need to just go and start forming hypotheses. Once you've learned everything you can learn through the continuous interviewing and the generative research, you need to go form hypotheses to Why are X percent of people dropping off directly on our landing page? Most likely it's because we're not presenting the information that's compelling enough for them to click on anything. Okay, so what could be information that would be more interesting to them? Let's see what questions they're looking to have answered. We've done that research. We've done a max differential. We got them prioritized. We're doing a card sort so we can get them. We can understand, Okay, these are the three most important questions that most people want to answer first. Are we answering them? well no okay let's go answer them so it becomes an exercise of understanding what are those pain points forming hypotheses around them and then leverage the ux design process of starting in a divergent way low fidelity visuals putting them in front of customers taking what works out of low fidelity narrowing it down going potentially mid fidelity high fidelity and then work through that right so all of those steps are things we put in place and as i said Try to be very intentional about the process in each step and eliminate as much of the noise around that so that the team can truly spend our time on saying, okay, here's a number that is not where we want it to be. Let's understand the pain points that are preventing our prospects or members from exhibiting those behaviors. Because the other benefit of being a purpose-driven organization and drawing that straight line between the KRs, which often business numbers, right, and the mission, is that we can be confident that if we move the business results, we're going to further the mission as well, right? So the two become one and the same.
0: Lots of great insights in there. Sounds very practical, but the kind of the trigger to start that may not be obvious. And I can imagine that that you and I and the rest of the team sitting together in a meeting, at some point you go, this is such a great capability. Why isn't everyone signing up that visits the site? Interesting question. And then a hypothesis about what do we need to know to find that out? Doing some sort of interviews, it sounds like. Briefly, can you just tell us how you conduct those, how you find actual customers to talk to, and how you're conducting those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the one of the things that was unique to this role coming in was that we don't have a dedicated user research team. So that was new to me. Every other company I worked for had a dedicated user research team. And I actually, initially, I thought, oh, this is, oh boy, this is going to be, this is going to be a drawback, right? Because we need use of research. But it actually turns out by making it part of the job description of our UX design team and also our PMs, right? But I'm a big believer in having at least the primary responsibility. So the PMs are the primary responsibility for bringing quantitative insights to the table. The UX designers are primarily responsible for bringing qualitative insights to the table. And there's no hard lines. If we have designers looking at dashboards and there's PMs running studies, but there should be someone who is on the hook at the very least, right? And it actually turned out to be a real strength. And it's something that I learned personally that I would certainly apply, continue to apply for this team and the other team I get to work with in the future, because it really democratizes access to member insights. So, Oftentimes, unfortunately, when you have a dedicated user research team, it's it's understaffed. And even if it's well-staffed, it's really hard for a user research team to not become a bottleneck. Because if they're successful, right, they want everyone to talk to customers, right? And the amount of times I've gone into the user research team and we're all just sighing and they're like, I would love to run that study, but I can only do it six weeks from now. And I go, I need these insights this week. This is an active discovery, right? I can't wait six weeks for insights, right? Then I'm flying blind. So that was the first step, actually, where I thought initially was going to be a limitation actually turned out to be a real strength because the UX designers have shown themselves really adept at at running the types of studies we need to do. So we use a testing.com, which is... A great simple platform, not a paid advertisement by any means, but it just happened to be the platform we use because it it does provide us with survey capabilities. It does provide us by focusing on filtering our design target by our design target and then putting simple prototypes and we can even do moderated studies through there. So the UX designers and the PMs and really anyone else who wants to is really empowered to essentially say, hey, look, we're in the middle of discovery. We're staring at assumption. We have no data to understand whether this assumption is valid or not. Let's spin up a very quick stimuli, something very simple. Let's toss it mm-hmm. on the platform. Let's go home, enjoy dinner with our family, and then we'll wake up in the morning with a fresh cup of coffee and some brand new insights. And they have data. And that's turned out to be tremendously powerful, right? So that is that type of assumptions testing becomes part of every single discovery process. The, the generative research was gaps we had to fill. So we had to be just intentional about saying, look, we need to go do this research. And then there's the continuous interview, which serves more as just as an open-ended listening session. And then, of course, we yeah. work closely with member services to make sure data flows from all kinds of different sources. But that's really the model. And many people have asked me, are we ever going to have a user research team? And I think at some point we might but it would likely based on this learning i would likely have a team that would be more focused on more complex studies maybe longitudinal studies diary studies those kind of things that really require someone who has more of an expertise in the area and we can you can focus them on those kind of things without taking away that that democratized access to generating insights that are good enough for really what you need in order to move project onto the next level of investment
0: yeah I, I love that the capability to get information almost instantaneously well let's think of what we need today we come back tomorrow we have some new insights i'm glad we, i asked about that question many other things we could dive into but i'm quite sure that most of the listeners heard something in the process you use they go wow that's a nugget I can take and apply to what we do. And that would really help me out in my work. So appreciate you sharing all your experience that you have gained and putting that into use there at Thrive Market. As listeners know, we also like innovation quotes. What did you bring us? And tell us just a little bit about what that means.
1: I was smiling when you had asked me this question, Chad, because I'm a big sucker for reading and learning. One of my favorite quotes is actually maybe a bit of a left field. It actually comes from the author, Dan Brown. And this is actually his first from his first novel, maybe the least- known and maybe underappreciated. It's called Digital Fortress from back in 1998. This was pre-Da Vinci Code fame and Robert Langdon days. And, And the quote is just quite simply, everything is possible, impossible just takes longer. And it's something that when I read it the first time just really resonated with me because it is aligned with how I think about problem solving. And again, maybe it's my engineering background and my engineering training, but I, I approach everything within product management as, a, as, a, as an enigma, as a riddle, as a puzzle, if you will. And, and I strongly believe that if you spend enough time forming intelligent hypotheses with smart people in the room, and then you're diligent about, about testing those, you can solve almost any problem. And that's what I love about product management, that we get to, on a daily basis, work on these kind of problems, puzzles, brain teasers, with what might be the most complex problem that you have, which is human behavior right? It's well documented that human behavior is one of the hardest ones to impact, right? There are many great books on the topic and many attempts have been made to, to impact sort of human behavior and, and to understand human behavior. So I think that quote's really stuck with me since the first time I read it because it feels so aligned with how I approach a problem, a puzzle, behavioral science in general.
0: Great. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I just like the simplicity. It's short and clear. Everything is possible. Impossible just takes longer. That's great. My background is in as well. Yeah, given enough resources and brain power, we can make the impossible possible. What do you just want to leave listeners with? Certainly, you can tell us how to find out more about Thrive Market, more about you, more about your work, anything you want to share.
1: Absolutely. If you're as passionate as I am about people, planets, and communities, I definitely check out ThriveMarket.com and our apps. We'd love to have you. But I think in the world of product management, I think for all of you who are already doing this... You're lucky to be in, in the field for all of you who are looking to break in there. It's a fascinating area that just never ceases to amaze me. I, I think, you know, keep, keep working on your craft because that's truly how it is. And I think connect with other people, listen, learn, and more above else. We take the opportunity to practice all the things you read about. I will jump on opportunities. And as I said earlier on, I warned my team that they will be getting pigs where here he goes again. He read something new or he listened to a podcast and now we're trying something different. But I think it's that kind of agile thinking that we apply as an industry to what we do. I think that really needs to be there in, in how we do things as well, because there's so much wonderful thinking. This podcast being one of them, so many different sources, so many different approaches, so many learnings to happen behind closed doors. So, and as I said, consume it all if you can and put it to practice and try, learn, fail, iterate, and see what works for you.
0: That's really good. Thanks for leaving us with that. It reminds me when I was a bit younger managing software teams. I guess it wasn't so much a nickname, but people expected at the meetings like, okay, Chad, what did you learn in a book over the weekend that you're going to tell us we need to do now? It's always, so what was it? What was from this book? And it's important. Continuous learning is important. And you've obviously done that well, putting together many elements to put this process into place. So much appreciate you being with us today, taking the time and letting us learn more about your process. So thank you very much, Eunice. Thanks for having me, Chad. It's been an honor. And once again, listeners, you can find the written summary of everything we discussed and that one-page action guide. It's a great way to help you share this with your colleagues at productmasterynow.com slash 450. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening
1: to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.